and welcome to Tea Time Theology. My name is Taylor Wilkie, your host of this season, and today my guest is the Reverend Canon Timothy Watt. Timothy is the rector at Trinity Church in Newport, Rhode Island. He is here today not to talk about a specific episode, but a specific character, uh, Captain Benjamin Sisko from Star Trek Deep Space Nine and uh, how he qualifies as a Christ figure. Welcome, Tim. Thank you for having me, Taylor. Let me first start by saying I'm so pumped to talk about DS9 with you. Yeah. Um, DS9 is probably, in my opinion, one of, is, is the best Star Trek series so far. It's categorically the best Star Trek series. Um, the writing is on point. The it, it, it still feels like a traditional Star Trek with like these bottle episodes, yep. but there's also still this great through line through the entire series that you can follow, right. and it, and it all gets wound up right yeah. at the end. There's a couple actually, you know, but between Cisco and then the Dominion War arc. Yeah, that yeah, that it's really the first time where you had that in Star Trek, and yeah. uh, not only that, but just the the pathos of it all is. I think probably the best uh, overall design in any of the series so far. Absolutely, I think it's. I think it was a very big um, misplay to send the Voyager out into the Delta Quadrant instead of having them being actually doing things during the Dominion War. Yeah. In conjun- and having two series revolving around the same story from different points of view. But, you know. Yeah, it was a misuse of the Maquis, but, you know. Hey, but we got good. some good episodes out of Voyager. and We did. Yeah. And now we got seven, and seven is in in Picard, and, you know, it's not all for nothing, you know? Not all for nothing. So it's also worth noting, since this is going to be a conversation more about a, a character's development over seven season of a TV show rather than just a specific episode of a TV show, uh, Tim and I will probably get things wrong. <laughs> and uh, I, like I said, I like, I, I like to say we're lovers, not experts, uh, and we look forward to your letters. It's been a few years since I rewatched the entire series. So. Absolutely. And, and me if I... Yeah, so, so we're, we're just going to move through it as best we can, and we're going to hit we hit some major moments, but if we reference anything else that's not wrong, Believe us, we, we mean it. We, we, we are making mistakes with a uh, with the purest heart that we possibly can. <laughs> the best uh, of intentions. Yeah. I guess everyone has their favorite moments from a Star Trek series. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my, personally, my favorite moment from DS9 is uh, the episode, season 6, episode 19, Pale Moonlight. Oh, that's, that's a good episode. That's such a good episode. And um, the complexity and morality. Absolutely. It, it, it really brings, it really shows how, like, how a Starfleet officer will put the morality and the ideals of Starfleet to the side to do what he feels is right in the moment. When you're partnering that close with Garrick, you're bound to be wrong. I love Garrick. He's, like, my favorite. The, the Bashir and Garrick relationship is, like, that's a whole episode we could do. It's interesting. That's a whole thing. So, uh, what would be, if you had to pick a favorite Ben Sisko moment or Ben Sisko episode, what, what, what would it, what would yours be? Oh, my favorite Ben Sisko moment is when he decks Q. That's really <laughs> classic. And, uh, and Q's like, you hit me. Picard never hit me. <laughs> I love that. Um, you know, probably probably that or, or when he shows up uh, for the first time with the Defiant, 
Mm. Um, oh, when he uncloaks? Yeah, uncloaks right. and he rolls up on it like, you know, check out my new ride. I love that. Oh, so God. good. And they're all freaking out on the bridge. They're yeah. like, something's in the something's in the superstructure and we don't know what it is. <laughs> we can pick it up. We can't target it. Oh, my God. And then he opens it up. He's like, hey, how's it going? Hey, look what I got. <laughs> I just picked it up from Starfleet. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's kind of... That's enough shot. That's enough side talk for okay. now. Um, let's um, let's just jump into it. My, the first question I'm going to have for you is, in your opinion, who is the emissary to the Bajoran people, mm-hmm. and how does that, and how does Ben Sisko's role as the emissary mm-hmm. compare to Jesus's role in the Episcopal faith? Okay, so I think, in a way one can say that the emissary is is more of a Moses figure and uh, but definitely a deliverer right and so when when you talk about the, there's this classic tradition where we we look at things in the Old Testament that um, are prefiguring of, of Jesus and we call those types and so you can kind of see uh, in Moses, the type that is Jesus in terms of what we call a deliverer, all right? And so the, the role of the emissary is to be the one who um, opens the, uh, what, what was it called, the celestial temple, which is a wormhole, mm-hmm. you know, a stable wormhole that ends up having been created by this race of um, transdimensional beings uh, who um, live in at least four dimensions that we know of. So when you talk about dimensions, you know, it's not just uh, height, length, and, and width, but uh, fourth dimensionalism is the concept that time is a dimension. Mm-hmm. And these beings are, are such that they exist outside of time. Um, so they experience time as a dimension where we experience it in a linear format. So there's like the classic, you know, anybody who's kind of watched the Big Bang Theory and stuff at this point in time has been introduced at some point to the concept of flatland, which is a two-dimensional being uh, on a flat surface. Mm, okay. Could only see a line. They wouldn't know, you know, looking at uh, the line that it's another, it's another person, right? Mm. But as three-dimensional beings, we can look down on them and see that there are two beings, you know, that they only experience each other as lines. We experience them as, you know, kind of two-dimensional, you know, broader. We'd be able to see the, one's a the shirt, width of it. One's right? a circle. One's right. a triangle. Right. And uh, we, on the other hand, can see the whole thing. And so the, the prophets this race that the Bajorians call the prophets are at least four dimensional beings. And so they can look down in time and see us at all points throughout time, mm-hmm. which is an observer's point that we do not enjoy. And, um, you know, it begins, this all begins with the series premiere of, of the emissary. They are in that sequence introduced as these beings that Cisco quickly comes to realize are not linear. Mm. So he ends up with this whole thing trying to explain linearity to them. Um, 
and in the end they kind of save him from himself because he's stuck in this place where he is he keeps bringing them back to the moment where he finds his wife wife dead yeah on the Saratoga which was destroyed at Wolf 359 Wolf 359 (laughs) which everybody in the TNG nerd world knows is when Picard was made Locutus of Borg and made to lead an attack on on Earth Hmm. and um and so Cisco was on the other side of that, and his wife was was killed as a result, and he's stuck there, right, emotionally, and, mm. and so the the beings are all, the the prophets are all like, why do you exist here? He's like, what do you mean? I don't exist here. I'm you know now the commander of this you know burned out Cardassian mining mm. center, and like no, you're you're here. You keep coming back here. And he realizes that through through their intervention. So it's kind of this cool thing where he's explaining, you know, the life of the linearity. And he, he explains it through baseball, which I, I also dig because I love baseball. Mm, that was so, That's really cool. I watched that yeah. clip before I came here. Yeah, and I'm like, like, oh. It's important because it's linear. Like, yeah. you know, it's one throw at a time. You can plan for things. You can have a uh, set of plays. You can do everything. But you don't know which one you're going to employ or what you're going to do. Until the pitcher throws the ball and it and it's hit or not, and you, and you don't know the outcome of the game until all the pitches are done, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Why would you even do that? That sounds like a, you know, that sounds horrible." And he's like, "No, it's it's like quintessential to what we are." Mm-hmm. Um, so it's um, so so the emissary, you know, kind of getting back to the question then is um, this being that the prophets have elected to interact with the Bajorans. You know, we can't really talk through the entire thing without like doing a lot of spoiler alerts here if you haven't seen the entire series. Mm-hmm. But essentially, um, what we find out ultimately is that the prophets have um, interfered at some level in time even to have Cisco born. Yeah. And the whole point of Cisco's life is to um, make sure that in the end, these kind of anti um, prophet beings who are known as paw wraiths mm. are kept trapped in, um, you know, basically this system that the prophets use to keep them trapped on, on Bajor, which is the planet closest to this wormhole. And so it's the emissary's job then to uh, be the one who maintains the stasis of that and also the, the one that interacts on behalf of the prophets, primarily with the Bajorans, but ultimately, you know, with other sentient beings. While we were discussing how we were going to handle this topic... Mm-hmm. Um, you came right out of the gate with like a lot of words that I had to look up. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, I, I was nerd like, all over you. I was like, oh my God, this guy, I'm not going to have to hold his hand. He can probably just do this by himself. But you mentioned uh, uh, there were machinations mm-hmm. of those uh, who then tried to impress their messianic, 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 Me- what is it? Messianic, messianic ideals or schemes. Yeah. Upon Cisco, 
Uh, first of all, what does that mean? Okay. So, machinations, machinations is, uh, like, is just that, like, trying to set uh, things in motion in a way that is um, either theologically, religiously, or really politically mm-hmm. um, beneficial to particular individuals. And, and like, the, the key figure in all this is uh, this, you know, terrible woman named Kai Wynn. And you know that she's terrible because she's also, you know, Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. She's, she plays a type. Yeah. And uh, Nails it, by the way. Oh, yeah. Nails yeah, you, it. You, you There's her. no one I hate more Absolutely than Kai Wynn. hate her. Um, she shows she's, up. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, no. a, it's a Kai Wynn episode. <laughs> it's one of those. Uh, so, yeah, so, so, you know, she works um, in a way to undercut uh, Cisco's authority because he's a threat to her mm. wanting to rise to to the level of being Kai. And the Kai is, for all intents and purposes, I think the closest analog we, we would have that people would understand would be like one of the warrior popes from mm. from the Middle Ages, right? Ones who not only were the religious leaders of the Roman Catholic Church, but also were rulers in their own right of like the papal states yeah. um, kind of deal. Um, so you have like this government that's kind of behind it, but it is really theocratic in the Bajorans mm. experience because so, they've had this close interaction with this other species who they revere, mm. you know. And they never quite like rise to the point where they say that they're, you know, gods or anything. They call them the prophets, but they definitely uh, have a impact on all aspects of Bajoran life. And the Kai is central to all that. And when when the series starts, you have a different Kai in place, Kai Opaka, who is kind of this um, spiritual leader who guided the people through. Um, their planet being occupied by an alien species, the Cardassians, who um, were essentially strip mining the planet for themselves. And, you know, just like uh, colonialism writ mm. large, right? It's, it's really kind of the base issue behind the entire series. And the, um, and Kaiopaka is the, the spiritual person that got them through that horror. And ultimately, she dies very, very soon after. You have a couple, you have another Kai in between who mm. ends up being not quite uh, the pure individual that people thought that he was. And, uh, you know, he, uh, in the end, kind of redeems in a self sacrificial way. But then mm. Kai Win, you know, um, Win rises to the, the place of Kai. Mm. And then you have like the issues all the way, way through because her whole thing is. Uh, this alien, yeah, Cisco, has you know he's clearly the emissary, minus like a couple episodes somewhere in there when another Bajoran comes out of the wormhole after being stuck in there for a millennia, yeah, or so. And uh, I can't remember what the guy's name is. I'm on my head, sorry. Um, and and Benjamin's like, oh, clearly I I should step aside because it obviously should be a Bajoran who's the emissary, but ultimately the prophets themselves are like, no, you're the emissary, dude. Yeah, like we picked yeah, you. Like yeah, that's yeah. you too. It's yeah. not this you don't, guy. You don't, even, you don't know this yet, but like, you know, we like, like, like know, the, this, this, one of us possessed, mom. possessed your mama to make sure that you were conceived, yeah. you know, kind of deal. Which is um, very. There's an analog there, yeah. you know, although 
uncomfortable for me to consider it a true analog as a Christian priest um, because, you know, there wasn't free will in there where in our, you know, our, our scripture regarding the Virgin Mary, she has the fiat. She has the let it be. She makes the decision. One of the problems in the background of all that is that Cisco's birth mom, you know, realizes that she's been manipulated and then like leaves. Yeah. And so leads to a whole lot of like emotional stuff for his dad who then remarries and Cisco's raised by this other woman. So talking a lot. That's um, what, that's what, that's what it's for. <laughs> it's the whole, that's the, like, um, right before we had you on it, we had Tanya on and yeah. before we said that, she's like, you know, Tim had his own podcast for a minute and I'm all like, Oh good. He's yeah. really good at this. Yeah. Um, and that's what it's all about. Just, you know, yeah. rambling so, on and on about stuff that you love, you know? Right. Uh, so, um, where were we? Um, we were talking about the machinations. Oh yeah. So, so like, yeah, well, so, so essentially any, any time, I mean, you might be surprised by this, but there's this, um, thing in life called politics and, uh, you know, it's everywhere. It's pervasive and, um, individuals who are attracted to being politicians tend to be people who like to remain in power. Mm. Once they get a little power, so they're going to do everything they can to keep their power, mm. whether or not it is good for the whole. Um, that might surprise some people who are listening to this podcast if that happens, because you know certainly nothing like that happens in our lives. But um, yeah, definitely hash, not in the church. I hash, mean, hashtag sarcasm. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely not in the church. Uh, so y- y- you end up having some of these, you know, subplots going on where um, people are trying to either uh, railroad Cisco or co-opt him mm-hmm. in in a way that's beneficial to their themselves personally or their groups, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and Kaiwin is the the extreme example. Oh, of that. I hear a name and I'm just like, oh. Yeah. I haven't watched I haven't watched yeah. Deep Space Nine in probably a year and a half all the way like like I'll I'll pick it up every once in a while but like I haven't like seen a Kaiwen episode in probably two years it's probably on purpose like, and you're subconsciously and, avoiding it and, and, and like I'll be on Reddit flipping through and someone will bring up like a Kaiwen post I'm like oh why would I even open this yeah what does he do to rise to that level of being a Masonic figure okay in the show and how does he compare yeah. to so, our Savior, yeah. Jesus Christ. So the super interesting thing about about Cisco is that he's not a, a willing, you know, deliverer, mm. right? He is, uh, and he doesn't even like, he doesn't even necessarily believe, right? Because he's looking at it from, you know, the scientific standpoint. Like, the Starfleet. I'm, I'm a Starfleet, you know, first commander and ultimately captain. He raises the rank of captain. And I know that these are these you know interdimensional beings who have the capacity to manipulate space time such that they can create wormholes you know over 70,000 light years and um, you know these aren't gods hmm. right uh, so he, he kind of alternates between this um, sort of prime directive respect for the religiosity of the people of Bajor, 
uh, versus his exasperation mm. with this role that has been he feels thrust upon him you know mm. and uh, and so it's an interesting thing to have an, uh, an unwilling uh, messiah I mean you, you start out with uh, Moses being like afraid right mm. um, not not willing to do it because he doesn't feel like he's a worthy or be capable of it and, and God's like no you know yes I hear you you stutter it's okay I'll give you the words kind of deal um, versus this guy who's um, ultimately I mean at a very basic level believing that he is he's operating you know as his own man in all this uh, so that's kind of an interesting switch on that but he is um and, and the reason like I've, I've as i've been thinking through it is that but i think he's more of a moses figure okay is is first that he, he is unwilling and then ultimately by the end of the series he has every intention of like retiring he's bought land on bajor and and being part of the people Right, so it's mm. kind of like the the arc of Moses, where you you know you have the unwillingness that arcs all the way through, and then then Moses uh, and 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 what happens in the end is that that that's not what happens for him. Like he ends mm. up you know kind of sacrificing to contain keep the paw wraiths contained. Then the reward of that is the prophets you know have him with them, mm. and he's like you know kind of left in the air like whether or not he's going to come back yeah, yeah and that and that it was baseball of, still on the desk side that, yeah. that's the indicator that he's going to come back because at, at one point in time the Kodassians came and recon, re, reclaimed uh deep space nine the space station mm. and like as a um symbol to goldicott the the leader of the Cardassians, that he had every intention of returning you know kind of like a MacArthur, mm. I will return to the Philippines thing. He leaves his baseball sitting on the desk like, I want to come back and get my baseball. You know? Mm. And uh, so, the you know, in the end, the baseball's still there. So it's, it's kind of this, this thing. But but ultimately, he does not get to see the promised land. Like, Moses doesn't get to see the promised land. He's not allowed to enter it. He dies on Mount um, on a mountain across the way, mm-hmm. looking into it. God lets him see the promised land, but he doesn't get to go there. And Mount uh, Mount Nebo, mm-hmm. and um, it's the same sort of thing for Cisco. He he gets to see the end of all the conflict, the end of the Dominion War, the end of the threat of the Cardassians against the Bajoran people, and doesn't get to retire. So, so there's kind of this arc. It's really cool that you say that he's more of a Moses figure than a Jesus figure. I guess I come at every every Messiah figure as thinking, yeah, like oh, they're it's like Jesus. Well, and but, that, that's the type thing, right? Like so, because you you look at all the different like prophetic figures in the Old Testament and, and how s- there's some something some aspect of them represents the full ministry of Christ, right? So yeah. that's it's all part of the continuum. Cool. Let's talk about a little bit more abstract, fun realization that I had when I was typing up the notes for this episode. So we have Kai Wynn mm-hmm. and Kai Opaka. Okay. Kai Opaka is very, like, Ben, ben Sisko shows up. Yeah. 
before we even, he even goes into the wormhole. Yeah. He like and he goes down and she like grabs his ear. Yeah. And she's all like and she like and she you can see it in her eyes. She knows. She's like I she, she has she's this like, thing where she she can sense the purpose of a person's yeah. paw, which is Bajorian for their spirit, their soul. Yeah. And she like grabs his ear and she looks at him like you're him. Yeah. And and she's all like it's interesting that, you know, it's you know, an outsider that's been chosen to be the emissary. Yeah. And we don't know what that means. He doesn't know what that means. And then eventually he goes through the wormhole. Yeah. This whole world is opened right. up to and him. She, and she shows him one of the orbs. And, yeah. and the orbs are they're religious objects for the Bajorans, but they're really just tools mm. for, for the prophets to interact in, you know, intradimensional time. Mm. Like, in the very first episode, we see one of them get, you know, something very similar to that get used to send, uh, what's her face, Jadzia Dax. Mm. Out of the wormhole safely, you know, so that they could focus on having their conversation with Cisco when he's explaining linearity, and they are releasing him from the wound of his wife's death. Yeah. So, so Kaiopak is very, like you said, she's a she's a war pope. She's a war. She she has led her people through this terrible yeah. ordeal, and and she has seen. She sees the 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 emissary come, mm-hmm. and she eventually dies in the first season. Yeah, and and in that way, actually, you know, kind of thinking of it, she is in a sense almost sort of like the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament, who is the bridge point between the time of the judges, mm-hmm. uh, when you know basically it's like full on wolf warfare with the Philistines. And the beginning of the monarchies under under Saul and, mm. then, and then David, uh, so this kind of center point who has done everything that they are supposed to do, been holy, and ultimately um, kind of mm-hmm. keep the faith alive. Yeah, then then you know gets phased out, mm. you know, and then through death. Yeah, and then we get. The Kai Win of it all, the the leader after the great leader, mm-hmm. the leader who not who's who's not just leading this this group of people by herself, but now she has this person who is the savior, or who yeah. the, the she has the emissary standing right next to her, and everything she says he can just contradict, and right. people don't know. I, I guess the main question is. As a clergy member, as a member of clergy. Okay. This is going to be interesting. You know Hit where me. I'm going, right? Hit me. Uh, as a member of clergy, let's say Jesus shows up. Yeah. Tomorrow. Right. What changes? Everything how, changes. How does, how, does, how does the word of God, how is the preaching and the telling of the story right. of Jesus Christ changed by his return? Okay. So what I'll say on this is uh, I'm a big word of God guy. It's okay. My, it's my thing. My thing is the incarnation and the kingdom of God. And the incarnation, this is the prologue of the Gospel of John. Okay, mm-hmm. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Jesus is that Word, that very Word that God spoke, and in so doing, ushered in all of creation. Okay, And that power, that creative power, then in our time, all right, getting back to like the interdimensional beings, right? Mm. Uh, you know, God clearly stands outside of time. 
emptied himself. This is this is the the uh, canonic hymn from Philippians two, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God as something to be exploited, but rather emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. The idea of a powerful being, in the case of the, of the prophets. The idea of God emptying himself to the point of diminishing down to being a three-dimensional being mm-hmm. in linear time is astounding. That is a poverty that is chosen and astounding. Like the, the closest thing that we have in the history of the church to anybody doing that in any way that was successful was St. Francis of Assisi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that word then is the word. So what happens with scripture and everything is that's the fulfillment, man. You know, the word is, you know, the Bible's like referred to mm-hmm. popular culture as the word, the word of God. We, we say that at the end of readings and, and uh, liturgies, but Jesus is the word. Mm-hmm. And that logos is the organizing factor for the entire universe, right? That's, that's the, the whole point of the incarnation, the incarnational thought. So just the fact that Jesus came, you know, the first time, lived as one of us, breathed as one of us, served the least of these, giving us an example that we struggle to follow in any way, shape, or form, and took upon himself the full measure of evil in allowing his own creatures to murder him through a religious and empire plot uh, to, to end his you know effect on people that badly backfired for them is like the critical good news of Christianity. Like the worst thing that can possibly happen has happened and it was redeemed. Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit to be with us now, helping us. And so I think the big key point, part of that, you know, what happens if Jesus comes back is, is, is yeah, like those who have grown powerful because of their imaginations mm-hmm. on uh, society through the use of religion through the use of politics they're getting blown out of the water and that would be a very uncomfortable thing for somebody who gotten used to that power yeah right and you know as a as a priest then like you know thinking about it you know i want to say it'd be easier to think about like you know what, what would it be like for pope francis hmm. um i think he'd be i think pope francis would be pretty chill well, about it i think he would but i don't think the magisterium would uh, uh, I mean, I think I think like, like Thomas yeah. Tobin, oh, yeah. not to not to mention any particular names, but I think he would have a hard time with it. <laughs> yeah, but or, or like the bishops, right? Yeah. And so it's like in the, in the Episcopal Church, you know, we we retain the threefold order: um, bishop, priest, and deacon. So I think it would come down to the individual motivations of mm. whatever person is in whatever position that they have. Um, would get to see the true colors of yeah. these people who were following around, you know? Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to think that I'll be, like, totally jammy and happy with it. 
you know, but I would be out of a job. Not that we need jobs if uh, the eschaton has happened and all things are fulfilled. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a super interesting question. Yeah. It's an interesting kind of, you know, mental exercise. What yeah. uh, I think there would be those who would be the Kaiwits. But yeah. I also believe that there would be those who would be the Kaiopakas who would be thrilled yeah. to see the prophecies coming through. Yeah. Coming to fulfillment. Great. Well, Tim, it's great having you. Yeah, thanks for having on the, me. Oh, sorry, not great. Hold on. Oh, wait, there's Hold more. On. There is more. But wait, Bob, he's but also wait, on the Gensu Nine. There's more behind door number three. We, I can't let you go until okay. I, until we, until I ask you the three questions. The three. Um, there are three questions that every Star Trek fan needs to answer on this podcast. All right. So, um, first question is, who's your favorite captain? Uh, so actually. Because technically he is a captain, I'm going to have to say Benjamin Sisko is actually my favorite captain. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I'm really. I, but if I, he, but if it has to be one of the ship guys, I mean, you know, Defiant decide. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Picard. Picard, nice. I, uh, I really like what they did with Pike. In oh, the, in yeah. Discovery, and I can't wait yeah. for Strange. I can't wait for Strange New World. Strange New World. I think Strange New World is going to take Pike to a new level yeah. of like being a captain again and be like the captain we've always hoped we would see. Um, favorite ship? NCC one seven zero one, the original Constitution class. Nice under Kirk. Yeah, classic. The class that, and I say that more from like just a sci-fi geekery standpoint. Like, guess that's the thing that that changed everything, right? Mm. Original so, refit though. Oh, original. I mean, just going okay. back to the to, to TOS on that, um, just like design and everything, just totally mm-hmm. changed the concept of this. You know, the space opera, if you will, mm-hmm. space show um, forever. Like the the idea of these these functional vessels that weren't just like a rocket ship to get you from A to B. Earth to Mars. Totally different different mm-hmm. deal. Have so, you been Have you been to the Smithsonian? Yeah, and you've seen. You've seen it in its glory in the glass case at the front. Actually, um, they were restoring it when I was when I was in oh. DC. You know, so I didn't get to see see it, it fully is, restored. But. It is. I, I went. It was fully restored. They moved it from like hanging over the gift shop. Yeah. To like a legitimate. Yeah, when, case. when I saw it, it was like in the gift shop, and then yeah. the cells would start to like sad. Yeah. Look a little sad. Yeah. Um, it was. But, it was amazing. You know, so, you, you stand by that glass and you and you see it, and like every twenty minutes, the whole thing lights up and. Yeah. It's yeah. such a moving experience, yeah. As, and, a, as a trick, so, so I, I'd say that from from a sci-fi like uh, you know fanboy geek status, I say that because it it moves sci-fi in a different direction, like in, in a way that you and I are both sitting here. Yeah. Interestingly enough, in Star Wars shirts, like yeah. I have, I have the Rebel in CDM mine. Mm-hmm. You have you have the Darth Vader cat on yours, cat. I am your father. This is awesome. And it's a, it's a, it was a cat. It was it was a catter day. You know, I don't think I don't think that. I mean, yes, the the Sunday serials that inspired Lucas mm. were, were one thing, but like the conceptual aspects of the starships involved in Star Wars probably wouldn't have been what we have mm. without the influence of Gene Roddenberry's, you know, in that design. Mm. And favorite series? Uh, team. My, my favorite series is actually Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. It's just, I mean, it's the most complex. It is the most complex. I, I was watching the, I decided like, you know what, I'm going to, 
I'm gonna stay up and watch some watch some track. And since I'm sitting down with Tim tomorrow, I'll I'll, uh, I'll watch some Deep Space Nine. I'm watching it. I'm watching it get going from the season one, and I'm like, this is this is the, it's a soap opera. This isn't is. like this isn't this isn't just Star Trek. This is Star Trek the soap opera. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought that was a very cool way for them to take it. Yeah, it was it was absolutely different. Uh, the complexity of, of Cisco's character, you know, especially like he's he's this uh, you know deliverer, you know, mm. semi messianic figure, and and the fact that you know you can have your favorite moment yeah. happen where he just puts all morality aside to get to the mm. end that he wants, which was to get mm. the Romulan Empire to engage in the Dominion War. Mm. Um, was. But it almost destroyed him inside, though. Like, oh yeah, like it like ripped them up. Like, like when my my fiance, she's not a big into Trek, and I'm like, I want to show her a good Trek, and yeah. and I'm like, what should I show? I'm like, Pale Moonlight. That's because because it, it, it's, the complexity of it. It's it's, just, it, it's um, the actor who plays Cisco just chewing up the scenery yeah. and like Avery really in yeah Avery Brooks really like doing the Shakespearean acting yeah. that he is trained to do mm-hmm. and he's just nailing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't get Tanya into it. I've been trying, but like she, because of, of his very Shakespearean approach, I think mm. is bothered by like, seriously, you've got to get it, get through a few episodes to, to get into the complexity of the character. But mm. maybe, maybe one day I can deliver her into the promised land. Absolutely. Um, have you met Reverend, oh, what's her name? We had another priest. I can't remember her name on the podcast. She she did the uh, New Eden from from uh, Discovery. Okay, and we talked with her about that. Joan Teston. Okay, she has a Star Trek viewing night at her house every once in a while. Yeah, she actually on. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny uh, when we when we have uh, clergy like Zoom meetings. Mm. It, she'll usually have a bridge background of some sort That's or another. Awesome. Right. And uh, when the second season of Discovery started, she had Discovery's, you know, bridge. That's amazing. Behind her. So, oh, my God. Anyway. And she's, she's actually the uh, the president of the standing committee, which is kind of the uh, the board of conciliaries for the bishop. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, Tim, it was wonderful to have you. I always love talking track. All right. With anybody who listen um, or engage with this me. This is fun. I appreciate the time. Okay. Uh, Tim, do you have any socials you want to plug really quick? Um, um, you know, currently, you know, my, my pot, my own podcast is in hiatus. My podcast partner kind of got, uh, sidetracked a little bit, um, on some other projects, but we're looking at coming at bringing it back. So, but you can still check out our past episodes. It's the irreverence. You can do it on, um, you know, Apple podcasts or, or Google play, either of those. And, uh, what we do is, uh, take a look at the weekly readings and, and discuss them in a way that um, is fun, but, but deep. Um, but we, we, we take, we take the scripture seriously, but not ourselves. That's why we call ourselves the irreverence. Nice. And uh, so that you can check that out. Otherwise, you know, check, uh, check me out on, on Facebook for Trinity church in Newport. And that's where most of my stuff is at this point. Um, we're Insta there. Okay, great. And if it, and if anyone just comes to you on a Sunday, come, Trinity Church. Come, uh, yeah, if you want, if you like the these and thous and the Elizabethan English, you know, hit us up at 8 a.m. And uh, if you want to come for a uh, contemporary service with super great music, see us at uh, 10 a.m. 
and it is the oldest Episcopal church in the state of Rhode Island and one of the oldest in the entire nation. So um, consecrated in 1726 as a Church of England mission parish. And it's the only one that still has a three-tiered pulpit in this original position. So oh, man. It's, uh, it's a very classic um, Georgian colonial uh, church, and uh, you can't experience, you literally cannot experience anything else like it anywhere in the world. So come see us. All right, Newport, Rhode Island, Trinity Church. Um, like I said, Tim, it's great having you. Thanks, Taylor. I had okay. a good time. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Listening to Tea Time Theology, a ministry of St. John's Cathedral in Rhode Island. We would like to thank our producers, Mo Akande, Ivy Swinsky, and Taylor Wilkie. Special thanks to Mo Akande and David Hines for the season three music, and our sponsors, the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island and the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley. Follow us at Tea Time Theology on all social medias.